Wayfair's biggest sale of the year is here. It's Wayday. Right now, you can score up to 80% off at Wayfair. Save on sofas and cookware, dining sets and rugs and beds, wall art, bar cards, floor lamps, sailing fans, home decor, all things outdoor, and way more. All up to 80% off right now. Plus, everything ships free. And flash deals are launching all Wayday long. Don't miss Wayfair's biggest sale of the year. Shop Wayday right now for May 6th at Wayfair.com. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that knows a beard is the only real man makeup. He is the captain. And the true MVP of the Super Bowl was Julian Edelman's beard. So, it's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today we are drinking Captain's Log by Cameron's Brewing up in beautiful Oakville, Ontario, Canada. Garage grade, four out of five bottle caps. This is a fantastic lager. Smooth, light, and clean with an ABV of 5%. Captain tested, Captain approved. And brought to us by our good friends right here. First up, we have Marine from Sweet Home, Chicago. And a big shout out to Vanessa G in Austin, Texas. Next up, listen to this one, Captain. We have Mark the Legend. Mr. Razer mm-hmm. and Gaza Zuki, all postal carriers in Bath, UK. The garage loves them mail carriers. Oh, Gaza Zuki. And a big we like your jib to Jen in Canton, Massachusetts. And next we have Charlie Hines in Baltimore. And last but not least, we have Sandra in Indianapolis. Sandra. Her name was Cassandra. So thank you to all of you for going to TrueCrimeGarage.com and clicking on the donate button. And for all things True Crime, go to TrueCrimeGarage.com. And we are almost sold out of the black hoodies. We're almost sold out of the gray hoodies. So if you'd want to get one of the pullover Zodiac hoodies, go to TrueCrimeGarage.com and click on the store page and order yours today. The time is now. The time is right now. What time is it? It's right now all right that's enough of the business everybody gather around grab a chair grab a beer let's talk some true crime Now 
now that the table is all set, let's sift through the evidence and see if we can come up with a better explanation regarding the death of Detective Souter. So there was some audio and then some video evidence in this case. The difficult thing in this case is information and facts seem to have come out in little nuggets here and there. And it really just leaves you wondering if you have heard the whole story. So we've compiled this and tried to put it together in a presentation that makes the most sense. Regarding the surveillance footage, this was taken from a private video camera attached to the Food Mart convenience store on Bennett Place. The police have relied on the private camera in the past for footage and photos of suspects in this rough neighborhood. Just like seemingly every other piece of surveillance footage we've seen in other cases, the timestamp on this video is off. It was later revealed to be off by 11 hours. The footage has been analyzed and overanalyzed and picked apart by the media and the public. To be clear, what it shows, I really think, is open to interpretation. For one thing, the video is taken from across the street and way down the block. Any human fig figures visible are small, and the video has areas that appear to be out of focus or, or, or smudged. But here is what the video shows according to the Baltimore Police Department. And mind you, this is taken from a statement before they released the video to the public. They say that the video shows Detective Souter and Bomanka. They are at Bennett Place, near the entrance to the vacant lot. Now we lose sight of Bomanka, who is wearing a light tan trench coat and is distinguishable from the dark-suited Souter. A dot... And I, I describe this as a dot because it's what it looks like to me. A dot that may be Souter is seen standing behind a white van parked on Bennett Place walking around, described as pacing back and forth. What happens next is very unclear, but according to the official Baltimore Police Department position, what we see is Souter pacing back and forth behind the van and then suddenly darting into the vacant lot with his radio in his left hand and his gun in his right. Then shots rang out. Now, the video, from what I could find, does not have sound. So we can only guess that this is when the shots rang out. And we see Bomenko running across the street away from the lot to take cover. Specifically, the whole episode between Suter running into the lot and Bomenko running took about eight seconds or less. The vacant lot where Suter's body was found is not in the line of sight of the camera. We are informed later that Bomenka had been on Schroeder Street right around the corner when the shots were fired, and he did not see what happened. According to the Baltimore Police Department's interpretation, there is no perpetrator seen on the video footage, although others argue that that's debatable. Then we have two witnesses, two eyewitnesses, who do not wish to be identified, but they told WBAL-TV 11 news that they saw Souter's partner Bomenka walking on the sidewalk to an opening when gunfire rang out. The second witness told the same news station that after the gunfire, he saw Souter's partner in a crouched position with his gun drawn. The witness said the partner then ran through the crime scene and into Bennett place. So if the two eyewitnesses are reliable and if what's been disclosed by the police department about the contents of the surveillance footage is accurate, then Detective Bomenka could not have been the shooter who killed Sean. 
According to Bomanka, he called 911 on his phone and then went to the vacant lot to check on his partner. So what is strange here by this whole account is that Bomanka did not have his radio on him. Right. He had to use his cell phone to call for backup. Police dispatch sent out a signal 13, an emergency call that means urgent officer down. This took place at 4.36 p.m. Police dispatchers initially radioed, quote, caller reporting his partner got shot. No description of the suspect. No further. End quote. Interestingly, this directly contradicts a statement we know Commissioner Davis made about the suspect being a black man in a black and white jacket. This statement by Davis about the suspect seen by Bomenka was released later on the night of the shooting, but dispatch was not notified of any description in the initial 911 call and, in fact, was told there was not a description. But then an hour after the shooting, a dispatcher issued a citywide bolo be on the lookout for a black male with white sleeves and a knit baseball cap. So this video, the long version is about an hour and 10 minutes. I'm not going to post that version, but there is a shorter version where they zoom in where they believe the detective was detective Suter was. So I will post that on our website at true crime garage. We also have commissioner Davis who revealed that there was a brief two or three second unintelligible transmission from detective Souter's radio. It conveyed that he was quote, clearly in distress said Davis Souter is heard to shout something. And it was confirmed by his peers that it was likely Souter's voice in this bit of audio. And there's a loud sound that could be possibly a gunshot and then silence. And when he was found, Souter was still holding his radio in his left hand. Commissioner Davis elaborated that the body cam footage from officers responding to the scene showed that Souter's radio never left his hand. Responding officers wearing body cameras turned Souter over and found him to be in grave condition. After sending Souter off to the hospital in a law enforcement vehicle, officers' first concern was the possibility that the shots came from a nearby building. Bomanka said he heard multiple gunshots but was not able to detect their origin. And when he ran to Souter's side, there was no suspect in sight. This is confirmed by the audio recordings of the police dispatch calls. In one of the radio transmissions, the officer on the scene says, we still have a possible armed perp here. Officer was not able to speak on where it came from, meaning the gunshots. We don't know if it was on foot in the rear alley or from one of the houses near the window. We're not sure. So the block was placed on lockdown while officers searched for the shooter in the many nearby vacant buildings. As we know, it remained on lockdown for six days while the police department investigated. Meanwhile, we know that someone drove Souter to the shock trauma center, got into an accident and Souter was transferred to an ambulance. Despite this, Dr. Thomas Scalia physician in chief at the shock trauma unit told the Sun later that any delay in getting Souter to the hospital did not impact his condition. Some more details. The bullet entered behind his right ear and traveled forward exiting from his left temple. This fact raised all sorts of questions. Was it possible that he was wrestling with an attacker and had his arm twisted around behind his ear and the gun went off? How did the bullet get lodged into the dirt ground? 
was Souter on the ground when he was shot. That would explain the dirt, some of the dirt that was found on his clothing. Right. But interestingly, no mention has ever been made of the whereabouts of the other two bullets. Now we know that they were fired from Souter's gun, but where are they? As far as we know, they've never been located. So we have, yes, we have the bullet casings, but no bullets. All right, Captain, I think that we need to dive into the suicide theory, as I think this theory might be the biggest and most complicated of the theories put forth. The suicide theory, I think, has the most layers to it. One layer, and a very thick one, I might add, is when Souter was subpoenaed to testify against his fellow officers, he possibly would be incriminating himself in illegal activity as well. Also, some of the disgraced task force members named 12 additional officers in the Baltimore police force who were in on the take. These additional officers allegedly either participated in the committing of crimes, helped cover them up, or enjoyed some of the proceeds. And some of these were higher-ups. One of those named was the head of the Baltimore Police Department's Internal Affairs Division and Davis's number two man on the force. One was an assistant state's attorney, and one was Detective Sean Souter. Now, Detective Gondo, who we talked about yesterday, asserted specifically that Sean Souter had for a decade participated in stealing money with the task force members and other corrupt members of the Baltimore Police Department. Right. He also said that Souter knowingly planted the heroin in Umar Burley's vehicle. Despite all Commissioner Davis's repeated assertions that Sean Souter was clean as a whistle, the news that he had been named as corrupt as well as the other pieces of evidence about his killing, it was his own gun, it was a close contact wound, no one saw a perpetrator, may suggest that Souter actually killed himself. Stephen Shenning, the acting U.S. attorney, said people had suggested Souter was complicit in misconduct, but said, quote, we'll never know what he knew because he's not here to speak to the circumstances. So was it possible that Souter was crooked? And did he not want that truth to emerge, tarnishing his reputation, ending his career, landing him in prison, and shaming and impoverishing his family? It is possible. In other words, that Souter staged his own suicide to look like he was killed in action, not being able to face his own downfall. Hence why there's three shots from his gun. So this has happened before. Specifically in 2015, a Fox Lake, Illinois lieutenant carefully staged his death to look like he was killed in the line of duty, but actually killed himself after stealing from a youth program he oversaw. This guy embezzled thousands of dollars over seven years and spent it on mortgage payments, travel, gym memberships, among other things. But the walls were closing in, and he knew he was about to be nailed for his crimes. Right. On the day he died, he was on duty. He radioed that he was chasing three suspects in a swampy area near Fox Lake, north of Chicago. Backup officers later found his body about 50 yards from his squad car. His death set off a huge manhunt involving hundreds of officers. The search involved multiple law enforcement agencies and ended up costing over $300,000 in overtime and other expenses. Authorities said the officer was shot with his own gun and took elaborate steps to try to make it look like he died in a struggle, including shooting himself twice in the torso through his vest. Mm. The suspects were never found. Investigators finally reached the conclusion of suicide 
which was vehemently opposed by his family, including his four children, who said the officer never once thought of taking his own life and spoke excitedly and often about what he planned to do after retirement. Right. You can't deny that there are parallels between that case and that of Sean Souter. Well, yeah, but one one thing that is not parallel is that Shooter has another detective with him. Mm-hmm. So even if you fire two shots, maybe thinking that you're going to stun the other detective and he's going to look away or take cover, now you have seconds to then make it look like you struggled with somebody and shoot yourself at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that that's a big difference. And a lot of stuff regarding the Souter case from within the department, thoughts and theories from within the department, didn't come out until 2018. Because apparently several of the initial investigators on the Souter case came to the conclusion that he may have killed himself. This being as early as a month after his death. Right. The Baltimore Sun reported that month that officials inside the Baltimore Police Department itself were divided about where the evidence in the case pointed them to. And again, we have Commissioner Davis who continued to endorse the homicide theory, and then others leaned toward suicide as the most likely explanation. By March of 2018, the AP described Souter's death as a baffling whodunit with evidence pointing in two different directions, murder versus suicide. Souter's family, of course, insists that the suicide theory is absurd. They maintain that he was a happy father of five who would never have left his children. His uncle, this is Sherman Basil, mentioned that Souter was eagerly looking forward to a peaceful retirement. This is just seven years away. And he had recently made plans to visit his uncle in D.C. with his extended family over the Christmas holidays. Well, okay, I don't, I don't mean to stop you in your tracks here, but even with the last case, the, the officer that took his life because he stole money. Mm-hmm. If it if it is true that Detective Souter was taking money, here's these here's what I have a problem is when everybody goes, well, he was a happy man and he didn't talk about any depression and he was looking forward to retirement. Mm-hmm. Did he also tell you about the money he was stealing? Right. No, in fact, he, that he was. Yeah, he, he didn't. Right, and we and he didn't in the first case, and so this is. This is evidence that you don't know everything about this individual. Mm. I mean, you you have to know that that's evidence that they're hiding something. I just want to put that out there. Well, and we didn't get into the thick of this yesterday, so I think we should now because, as you pointed out, there are possibly more motivating factors for a possible suicide. Souter had five children. His salary was reportedly 78000 a year. Right. If he died in the line of duty, his family stood to receive hundreds of thousands of dollars in a lump sum payouts of federal and state benefits. Right. A pension giving his widow his annual salary for life. And I actually saw one report that states it would be tax free for the course of her life. That's good, though. It should be tax free. There would also be workers' compensation as well as any possible life insurance that they had. Okay, so... Is that it on those facts? Well, I th- I think let's go into these benefits. Well, just well, go well, ahead. I have a question for you. Okay. Well, what does he get if he goes to jail? How much do they? How much does the police department pay his family? Uh, he wouldn't get they. I don't know this to be one hundred percent fact, but 
I have to believe it would be zero. Right. It's probably zero. Right. You don't get to go to jail and they go, hey, we're going to pay your family money. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, what's what's the benefits that your family gets if you go to jail? Zero. Right. So, you know, that that becomes a difficult thing. You know, uh, that seems to me like such a big motive. And then on the other side of things, you go, well, of course, the I, I don't believe that that his wife is arguing that he didn't kill himself because she wants money. But that has to play a factor in this. That she would have a motive to keep that fight going. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Well, yeah. I mean, you you got to question everything. We're question if we're questioning Sean Suter's motivation, right? If in what may have actually happened, it's fair to question hers as well, right? But then we have to question somebody else's motive as well, mm-hmm. because if the police department is saying, "Hey, look," at first we're looking for a suspect, white jacket, black and white jacket, black man. This is what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. We're shutting down a whole neighborhood. And then all of a sudden you go, hey, hey, this cop wasn't dirty. Well, maybe the cop was dirty. This is what they're saying. Mm-hmm. There's the there's a suspect. No, there's not a suspect. Uh Suter wasn't dirty. Oh, he was dirty. And then you're and you're gonna tell me now we don't know if we have a shooter, and now we think that he killed himself. Well, guess who doesn't have to pay anything out? If he killed himself, the police department. So, and I understand that's not coming directly from their pockets, but uh, you know, I've never been a part of those budget meetings and trust me, I I know some people that have and they're not pretty. Yeah, but I should, you know, I want to include this because my take on this whole story is while you have some investigators saying that, Hey, there are, there were some things that pointed to a possible suicide. I don't believe it was their, their um, 100% put our stamp on it position that he did commit suicide. And I mean that being f- coming directly from the Baltimore police department. Right. I don't, I don't f- see them trying to spin this in that direction uh, at this point in our, in our story, in the case that appears to me to be speculation. They're still treating this as a homicide, but these are just possible motivating factors for another possibility of suicide. And as mentioned, so one of the um, benefits, the largest benefit that would be available to families of fallen law, law enforcement officers, this would come from the U S justice department. It's a program that provides $350,000 in payout. And it also pays out for higher education tuition assistance for his children. So that money is not available if he was a dirty cop or if it was determined that his death was caused by his own intention. So in other words, if Sean Suter killed himself, many of those benefits to his family would be drastically reduced, if not removed altogether. Well, and do you know how much money these kids would get for college assistance? I mean, do you know how much it is to get a computer degree this year, in these day and age? Trillions of dollars. Right. Trillions. Well, and I, I've actually seen different reports regarding what the tuition assistance would, would have been for his children. Right. Um, anything from, you know, the, the whole bill is paid to 
um, you know, a small amount paid annually. Well, and I'm joking about the trillions, but I mean, higher education now, I mean, the price is ridiculous. Well, so if he did commit suicide, how would this have worked? If this is in fact what happened, if Sean Souter did kill himself, we can only wonder when he made the decision to do such a thing and how much planning went into it. For one thing, there are reports that Shooter, Souter, I'm sorry, requested Bomenka to work with him that day, being a junior partner. So Bomenka was kind of low on the totem pole as far as these homicide investigators go. He was only in the homicide division for five months. Perhaps Bomenka was more likely to follow Souter's direction, leaving his side to enter the vacant lot on the Schroeder street side. And there would be no witnesses to what happened. Right. One thing we got to point out here is while they were tracking down this quote unquote lead, this possible lead in an unsolved homicide Souter was directing himself that day. He wasn't, he wasn't being directed by a higher up as to where to go that day. He was choosing where to go. And some have pointed out that him knowing that it was an abandoned neighborhood, you know, a a bad place, a bad part of town, that this might be a good place to stage a murder, stage his murder. And, And, but what's weird here is that we have him on video footage looking odd, almost as, as if he's paying attention to somebody. Mm -hmm. And then he goes into this alley. We got three gunshots. Mm -hmm. So you go, you fire randomly and then put one in the back of your head. Mm -hmm. And then where does the gun fall? The gun falls underneath him as he falls. Now I'm not so worried about where they found the, where they found the bullet. Right. And the reason why is because I don't think necessarily that Souter has to place himself on the ground to get the bullet where it was. The bullet could have ricocheted off of anything and fell. You know what I mean? Well, I'm with you on the the finding of the bullet, the location of the bullet that killed him. I think you could argue it both ways. One, it could indicate that he turned his gun on himself or that he was involved in a struggle and he ended up toward the ground or facing the ground or on the ground right? and was, was killed by, you know, a gunman who got away right now. But what's weird to me though, is the the struggle. It also could have been, he's pulling his trigger himself and the struggle happens where his arm goes then behind his head. Think about like if a guy got behind him, put him in a half Nelson, Mm -hmm. then his arm's struggling and maybe he goes to fire thinking he's going to shoot him and ends up shooting himself in the head. I think what we do have though is, you know, we have ballistic evidence to, to know if it came from his gun, which I'm assuming that they know and that the bullet did come from his gun. They they have uh, publicly stated that ballistically uh, they have proof that the three shots were fired from his gun. Right. And so the other thing though, too, is we have uh, the measurements of his arms and the measurement of the gun and is it even possible for him to get the gun in the spot where he shot himself and and facing in the direction that the bullet would have exit the body? I well, think they they should be able to prove that scientifically. When when this case first broke, 
Okay, now keep in mind, they're obviously treating this as a homicide right from the get-go. But when the case first broke, the information that came out was that he had his radio in his left hand, his gun in his right hand, and that he was shot in the right, I'm sorry, that he was shot in the left side of his head, which scientifically makes it almost impossible that his arm would reach around there and shoot himself in the left side of his head. Right. What they ended up learning very quickly into the investigation. Now, mind you, by this point, they've already set investigators out looking for a killer, a cop killer. Then they find out that no, in fact, the gunshot did come from the right side. Right. It entered the head at the right side. Right. But what I'm saying is depending on where at on the right side of his head, it was know. behind his ear. So it would have been, I think it, I think I'm, I mean, I'm, <laughs> this is the great thing about podcasting. I'm sitting here. We're both doing this, trying yeah. to put we're doing, our right hand toward the back of our right ear. And somebody's going to walk in and think we're doing hot yoga, but we're not. While you can do so, I would I wouldn't say that it's difficult, but it doesn't seem very doesn't seem supernatural, right? But again, maybe that's part of the plan. If I do it this way, it's not going to seem natural. They're not going to know what's up. Well, and then in August of 2018, we will get back the IRB report, and we will review their findings right after this quick beer break. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL 
is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers to you, Captain. Cheers to you. And cheers to everyone else. Extra crispy, Colonel. <laughs> the Independent Review Board established to review the investigation into Sean Souter's death finally published its 207-page report on August 27, 2018, and we will go through all 207 pages. Well, that's one page less than our report. 
Just joking here. We'll break it down for you in some bullet points. So the report stated that the IRB concluded that Detective Souter took his own life with his own weapon. The report contains information that was not disclosed until this point. So let's break it down. Now, this is all per their report. We may argue some things along the way here, Captain, but let's start off. In investigating the case, the police department executed 12 search warrants, conducted 123 interviews, followed up on 54 tips, and cleared 33 vacant homes. In the end, they were left with no suspects. Suter and his partner for the day, Bomenka, had been to Bennett Place on the previous day as well. Suter told Bomenka that he was in search of a street worker named Mary. This is as much information as we have about this person named Mary, whom he said was a potential source of information in a 2016 triple murder. But there is no mention of her in the murder case file or the department's list of informants. What they're implying here is that Souter may have made up this person named Mary. Right. Souter and Bomenka thought that they saw the, quote, suspicious person from their unmarked vehicle at 4.02 p.m., but they weren't certain. They decided to call it a day at that point. Souter had a 5 o'clock meeting with his attorney, the report reveals, but Bomenka did not know this. While driving away, Souter told Bomenka he saw the suspect in the alley. They parked, and Souter stayed behind the white van parked on Bennett Place and directed Bomenka to the corner of Bennett Place and Schroeder Street so that he could see if someone came out of the opening to the vacant lot located on Schroeder Street. According to Bomenka, at 4.36 p.m., Souter ran towards the vacant lot and out of view of Bomenka. As Souter disappeared from view, Bomenka observed Souter beginning to unholster his weapon with his right hand. Just prior to that, Souter waved at Bomenka. The purpose of this gesture is unclear. Bomenka interpreted the wave to signify that something was happening in the vacant lot. He heard Souter yell, stop, 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 police, and heard gunshots. Bomenka's reporting is a little inconsistent for this next part. The report reads Bomenka ran away from the lot and called 911. When backup arrived within two minutes of the call, Bomenka and the responding officer approached the lot and found Souter on the ground, rolled him over, and started chest compressions. Just after Souter was placed in the patrol car to go to the trauma center, he received a text message. This is from his attorney. At 4.42 p.m., Jeremy Eldridge texted Souter, you have grand jury by subpoena at 1 p.m. in federal court and a meeting at 11 a.m. at USAO, followed immediately by, I can't stay past 6. Getting no response, he texted again at 4.52 p.m., dude, what is going on? Sean Souter deleted, later convicted officers Gondo and Ward from the contacts of his phone along with 75 texts and 313 call log entries. So what did the IRB report point to as evidence of suicide? The autopsy determined that there was a close contact wound where the gun barrel was pressed to his head. The bullet had marks consistent with Souter's Glock. 
Although it could not be 100% confirmed as coming from Souter's gun, the evidence is overwhelming that the fatal weapon was Souter's Glock. Souter's DNA was found inside the gun barrel, as well as on its surface. The report attributes this as likely due to blood spatter entering the chamber. The report states that no other traceable DNA or fingerprints were found on the gun. The three shell casings found at the scene came from Souter's gun. Blood spatter was found on the inside of Souter's right shirt cuff, indicating that his arm was close to the skull and was spattered when blood was expelled by the shot and making it unlikely that someone was forcibly holding his right wrist or lower arm. Mud on Souter's left shoe and left knee shows that he was kneeling on his left knee when he was shot. This, they say, is inconsistent with the struggle, but consistent with police officers training to take a knee to stabilize themselves when shooting. Souter was trained in self-defense and knew how to use the gun slide to disable his weapon if attacked. Other than trace amounts of DNA, which might be attributed to the officer's who transported Souter to the hospital, no DNA other than his was on his person. He had no defense wounds. His radio was still in his hand, inconsistent with the struggle. Based on the video and witness statements, a suspect would not have enough time to disarm and kill Souter and escape. Bomenka didn't see anyone running away from the scene and heard Souter yell stop instead of help. We also have... Souter's work computer. The search history revealed that Souter googled Von Green funeral on five occasions on September 6, 2017, when Souter was laid to rest. His family utilized the services of Von Green Funeral Home. Okay, there's a lot of bullet points there, a lot of different thoughts, and that's a lot to go through. And here's what we got to be clear on this because this independent review board, Mm -hmm. they didn't. From my understanding, they didn't actually go out and conduct their own investigation. What they did was they compiled all of the information that was uh, gleaned from the investigation already and reviewed that information together collectively as a board, as a group, and came to the conclusion that Sean Souter killed himself. Right. It's like the Warren Commission. And I also believe that the determination of homicide has not been overturned by this finding of the review board. So technically, this would still be, should still be a homicide and investigated as such. Now, regarding their bullet points, they do put together a a good, strong argument that Souter may have killed himself. I would argue back that I don't think it's conclusive. No, I don't think so. I, I think it's still unclear. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you on that, but it's the deleting of the contacts and the, the deleting of the history. That's suspect. But you're going to meet with your lawyer later. Mm-hmm. Are you trying to get rid of it before you meet with the lawyer? And maybe it has nothing to do with the shooting. It's so It's so darn tough because with this case, I think that a lot of the things you can argue on both sides. Like, okay, for instance, you mentioned the deleting of those two contacts, deleting of text messages that probably were conversations with those two contacts. Right. 
was that simply because Sean Suter was a good guy and he it was known to him by this point that those were bad guys that were, you know, corrupt cops that he was working with and he didn't want any part of them? Yeah. Just right. so you know, you know, we're not the same. Just because we we both work for the same department, I've learned through the course of of history with you that we are not the same. We are not friends. Right. And I'm deleting you for that purpose. Now, yeah, but it's just an odd time to delete it. So, well, I I don't know that we know exactly when that was deleted. Right. Um, you know, this could have been months in advance. From what I found in the report, it just says that those were deleted when they inspected his phone. That was deleted. I don't. It's not like they're saying that day, the day that he took his own life, he okay. deleted that information. I was unclear. On that. Regarding the funeral home, um, okay. Uh-huh. I am nowhere near, <laughs> nowhere near the age that you would have to put me in a, an assisted living home. Pretty close though. But when I used to drive around the state of Ohio conducting interviews, and some of them were taking place at these assisted living homes, there was more than one occasion where I went to one and I'm like, that was a really nice facility. Yeah, I really like the way that they are treating the residents there. Uh-huh. Uh, what I'm getting at is just because he Googled a funeral home doesn't mean that he was planning his death. It could be something as simple as, uh, as he attended a funeral there, wanted to remember the name of it in case he had to make arrangements for himself at a later date or one. And you say he's just going to the website. He, he yeah, he Googled the, um, a general name, not the exact name of the funeral home, but a general name that would lead him to get, information it's kind of like if you walk past a restaurant that you think looks nice and you're like oh i'll google john you know john a's well there's also obituaries that are posted on on funeral parlors websites oh that's true so could he be looking up something you know a a friend of a friend a family friend that might have passed away to see what time their service is Mm -hmm. or if they passed away who knows i think within all of that that there's really only two pieces of evidence that I think are very strong in support of the possibility of suicide. I'll, I want to argue some other things first before we get to those, but regarding, okay. Regarding the, the mud or dirt that was found on his suit. Again, you can argue that both ways. The review board wants to suggest that that means he was kneeling down in a manner that he is taught as an officer to stabilize himself before taking a shot. Right. Can't you argue the same point that he was being attacked or in some kind of scuffle that led him down to his knee? Yeah. And then he was shot. And then you have the thing, you have the blood on his uh, cuff, on the cuff of his shirt, which says that he, that there couldn't have been somebody forcing his hand could not have forced his hand. There was nobody else present. Right. I would like to see, I would like to see that really mapped out for all of us. <laughs> right, you know what I mean? Right. Map this thing out and show me how that couldn't mean that somebody else was forcibly holding his hand. Right. To me, that's just a non point. You know, it's right. like, it doesn't mean anything. I don't give a shit about their opinions on that. Well, okay. the thing is they could, they could have a better understanding of it because they have better knowledge presented to them. Mm. where we don't have enough to go, all oh, right, I agree with that or disagree with that. Right. But but since I don't, I'm just throwing it out. I'm just saying it's not, it doesn't matter to me. Well, and that's why I say I would like to see more. I would like to see that really mapped out for us scientifically to explain how no one else could have been holding his hand 
forcing his arm or anything to that manner. Yeah, and then I also wonder, uh, do we know if he's in a dead sprint? The reason why I mean this is, is, is is there a possibility that he runs around and says, stop, he fires two shots, and then somehow within his movements, it's an accidental shooting to himself. Mm-hmm. Is that possible? Mm-hmm. Well, and then you have you have the review board saying, "Well, his partner for the day says he was yelling stop, not help." Who we're talking about right. seconds, man? Who who knows what words we're going to use when we find ourselves in a situation? Right, but if you're in a situation with another person, cops normally say stop. It's the cops. Mm-hmm. Stop or I'll shoot. Right. So what? You know what I mean? I, like, I why think. Why would he, he yell help? I right. I actually think help. him yelling stop indicates that there may have been somebody else present in that vacant lot with him. I agree. And okay, so I think the most damning part, the part that may point the most to suicide for me, is the the very short period of time from the from when he runs into the vacant lot to when his partner can see what's going on. Right. They say that Mm -hmm. that's eight seconds. That makes it very, that's such a short period of time for someone to get into an altercation with this officer, with Suter, overpower him, three shots ring out, one of them kills Suter. It could happen. However, I think it's, it's such a small piece of time I don't find it to be very likely. The other part of that is the person getting away. Right. How does how did the individual get away and not be seen in that short of of a time span? We're talking about broad daylight. Well, eight seconds to run into a building is that's not that's not that's pretty quick, mm-hmm. but but it's doable. You know, if I'm on if I'm on the curb and I push you over, I could get inside a house within eight seconds. Yeah. You could too. I mean, even with your bum leg. Well, here's here's the thing. You have to wonder, from knowing where the bullet came from, from behind his right ear, Yeah, is it possible that he ran into that vacant lot and he was ambushed? I don't mean gunned down. I mean that maybe he was in pursuit of someone or thought he saw something and was in pursuit of that and someone came up from behind him. That would explain his, uh, you know, they say that, look, he's got his radio in his hand, so that doesn't indicate a scuffle. He could be calling for help. His intention could have been to call for help. That would indicate a scuffle, right? Well, you could run in. He has his hand on his radio, left hand. He comes running in. He thinks he sees something. He fires, fires, boom, somebody's behind him. They grab his arm. He pulls it up, accidentally pulls the trigger, or purposely pulls the trigger because he thinks he's going to hit that person. Boom, he's dead. You bring up a very interesting thing here. Could it be something as simple as he was, in fact, in pursuit of someone he thought was behaving suspiciously and loses his footing as yeah. as he's yelling stop with with the intention of firing at some point and ends up mistakenly Shooting himself? Because, again, how old is he? Well, he would have been um, 43 years old. So, 43-year-old, running around the corner, and he's going to put down his knee. And as he's doing this and 
Maybe he has his gun up here again. You go, okay. He hits his knee and, ah, boom. Mm-hmm. It says, I mean, nobody can see the dance moves I'm doing, but it's possible. It's very possible. And look, your body breaks down. I, I don't care what anybody says. And well, it doesn't, who, who and, cares? I mean, let's say he's in the prime of his life. We all can take a misstep. We all can be running full speed and not see, see something and step on it or roll our ankle. Anything, any of that can happen to anyone at any time. Well, and also you're, you think you're in pursuit. You say that before you get out of the car. Are you a little jumpy because of the area? Possibly. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, it's a it's a possibility. Well, let's go down this road real quick, because I've seen conflicting reports regarding gunpowder residue. There are some reports out there that state that they're they they cleaned his hands, that his body was cleaned at the autopsy. Therefore, they couldn't find gunpowder residue. That doesn't mean that there wouldn't have been some there at some point. I've also seen other reports that state emphatically that. Yes, there was gunpowder residue on Sean Souter's hand, which would indicate that he fired that gun himself, at least one out of those three times. I'm going to go with there was gunpowder residue because the the sources that that come comes from, I believe to be more credible. Right. So I'm not saying I'm not saying 100% that is fact, but in my research, seems, I believe it to be true. It seems like everybody's kind of leaning that way. Yeah. So there have been people that have pointed out, well, because there was gunpowder residue on his hand, then he had to have shoot himself. But then one could argue, is it possible he fired one or two of the shots, but not the shot that killed him? Right. And then people have also argued, well, would have Souter have been smart enough to know that they would find gunpowder residue on his hand? Therefore, he purposely fired more than one shot before killing himself. Well, again, and then you wonder about this video. Is it doctored in any way? Is it edited in any way? How long did they have this video footage before it's released to the public? The thing that really drives me nuts or really is hard for me to contemplate this whole suicide thing is, again, you have a person with you. Right. And so now you're going to try to stage this. If you're going to stage this, Right. There would have been easier ways to do it, I think. Well, yeah. And you're almost like purposely going, hey, by the way, there's this guy. We got to go get him. Come with me. Mm -hmm. Where he could have said, stay back in the car, you know, radio for help or whatever. Right. He could have said all this stuff, but he's saying, no, come with me. Get closer to the area where I'm going to fake my my death. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I mean, think about this. The, they talk about all the abandoned houses, the vacant houses in that area. Right. Souter was not a dumb guy. This was a very smart detective. Face. Why wouldn't he have said to Bomanka, hey, I think I saw that guy run into that house over there. I'm going to go in and chase him out to you. Yeah. He could have He could have went into a space where he would have known there would have been no witnesses. Right. This vacant lot, while it was vacant, and yes, there ended up being no eyewitnesses to whatever happened in there. That was a space that it's broad daylight. There's a chance someone could have seen him. It doesn't seem to me, if we're talking about a smart, intelligent detective planning his own suicide to look like a murder, it doesn't look to me like this would be the spot he would pick. Right. And very strange to me that 
the whole department would come out initially and say, we have a suspect. We've seen a suspect. Our, the other officer, the other detective on duty with him saw a suspect. This is what we're looking for. We're shutting down a whole part of town. And we're going to infringe on other people's constitutional rights to try to find this individual. And then all of a sudden say, yeah, there was, there was never another suspect. We never saw anybody. And by the way, this was a suicide. And you know what? I, I have to believe that the description that they were using when they believed they were looking for a shooter, that's got to come from Bomanka saying, hey, this is what we thought we saw before the shooting happened. This was the, the guy that we thought that we saw and that I believe Souter was in pursuit of. Here's a couple. Well, but here's the other thing, though, too. Who knows? Uh, here, I mean, this is how far-fetched you can get with these possibilities. What if he did see somebody, right? Mm-hmm. Bermanka, he sees somebody. He's saying, hey, look, we saw somebody. He might have struggled with him. We don't know if it was 8 seconds, 18 seconds, 20 seconds. We're not really for sure, right? Because the, the audio doesn't line up with the visual. We don't know. Well, and the visual's not great. No, I mean it looks. I mean it looks like ants. You can't tell what is happening. Mm. I mean it looks like little blurry dots on the screen. You, you, you go to our website and watch it. You'll be like, "Well, that was a waste of time." <laughs> uh, and then thank me later. No, but it's like we don't know. And then did somebody that they charged with these crimes, these dirty cops, did they get to to this cop and say, "Hey, you need to forget about the suspect you saw." Mm-hmm. Because they're thinking this bastard is going to throw us under the bus and then he's going to get killed in the line of duty and his family's going to get taken care of and ours isn't. And we're going to be stuck in prison. You know, you're going to say that you didn't you didn't see anybody. You're going to say that this was a, a suicide. And if you don't say that, we'll go after your family. I mean, that's how far fetched you can go with these possibilities. Mm-hmm. You know, but to me. Our initial reports coming from law enforcement, if we're going to believe anything that law enforcement says, our initial reports is that we have a suspect and we're shutting down this whole part of this goddamn city to try to find this suspect because we have a cop killer. You turn around however many days later and say that it was a suicide, I just don't don't know how much I buy that. Well, look, I can certainly agree with and understand or try to understand because I don't live in that community. I can agree with and try to understand the viewpoint of the citizens of Baltimore saying we can't trust these police. I also have two eyewitnesses, right? No, I, what I'm saying is I get that because it's proven there was corruption within that department, but it's not everyone. It's as far as we know, a small, it's a faction of that department, right? So the public is very skeptical and I think they should be. I'm skeptical of the independent review board's findings of what they released as their belief as to what happened. I'm very skeptical of that. Actually, I don't fully agree with it. I think you need to show me more evidence to tell me that he killed himself. Yeah. I don't think it stands up. It doesn't stand up to me and I won't let it stand in the garage, but we want the truth. God damn it. What the, what the Baltimore public will likely say at least a portion of them is, well, we can't trust this department to give us the proper information. I'm going to argue on behalf of some of that department and saying this Bomanka, while I find 
some of his statements to be inconsistent. I don't think that he knowingly knew anything when he went out there that day, meaning if it was a suicide, he didn't know. Or meaning if it was a setup for Suter to be taken down, he didn't know either. I think that his statements are somewhat inconsistent, not because he's being controlled, not because there's some great puppet master behind him pulling levers, making him do and say things. I I believe it's because he was out on the job in the field that day and something horrible happened. And I believe that it happened very quickly and it might be a little sketchy as to the second by second details that you're asking this detective to later give you. So I don't, I don't find much problem with the very minor inconsistencies in his story. The other thing too, is if Baltimore police department, if they really wanted to set up Sean Suter, take him down and then cover this thing up, they would have quickly arrested a man matching the very descri- very vague description right. that they put out to the public at some point, And they would have pinned it on somebody. They well, would maybe have, they, they couldn't find a black man with a black and white jacket. They would have pinned it on somebody. And I actually want to give them a little bit of credit that they weren't bringing forward some innocent guy right. that's right. just down on his luck that has no ability financially to defend himself. So yeah. we don't have that happening. I think I, I really call into question the independent review board's findings here, Captain. I don't think that they have convincingly made their argument that Sean Suter killed himself. I think at this day, I'll go on record saying that I believe that the original determination of homicide should still be investigated as such. And until we have better information, it remains a homicide in my mind. Well, sticky situation, one, because there is speculation that maybe he was a dirty cop. But what we do know is we have evidence of him being a good cop. Mm -hmm. And we have evidence that he served and protected a community and anybody that is going to put their life on the line to protect us, we owe them something Mm -hmm. and we owe their family something. And what this, what detective Suter's family is owed is to know the truth. Mm -hmm. Rest in peace, detective Sean Suter. And you should go to truecrimegarage.com for many reasons, but one of them, we have our recommended page and we've recommended many books over our long journey here today. We are recommending in pursuit, the hunt for the beltway snipers by David Reichenball in pursuit is a memoir detailing the pursuit and hunt for the beltway snipers that lasted for 23 days in October of 2002 when they terrorized the Washington capital region as they shot 14 people in random acts of pure evil. You don't have to write that title down now. You can simply go to truecrimegarage.com and find that listed on our recommended page. This week on our Stitcher Premium show, Off the Record, we talked about the Jamie Kloss case updates, so you want to check that out. We also discuss the TV show True Detective. And that's on Stitcher Premium, so if you don't have that, go get it. Well, we will see everybody back here in the garage next week. Until then, please be good, be kind, and don't litter.
On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.